Well, moving to the straight, it'll still be Duncan. Lacar's there, Blundell flying and making a charge of the leader. Come on, Duncan! Duncan leads. Jenny Blundell has a crack. Can she do it? Duncan tries to hold on. Blundell moves up on the outside. Duncan holding her. Blundell with the line. Take it in front. 409.75. A huge pair of the best. From the young lady from the University of Sydney, Jenny Blundell. Oh, Jen's at 410 with me. She went through the gears 150 out. And she set sail for home. And she turned it on and took some scalps. Put your hands together for Jenny Blundell. Jenny Blundell has been one of Australia's biggest middle distance talents for many years now. A crazy talented junior, she is one of the rare few who have been able to convert her junior talent into success as an adult. She made the semi-finals for the 1500 meters of the 2016 Rio Olympics and is set to toe the line in the 5000 meters of the upcoming games in Tokyo. We caught up with Jenny as she puts the final touches on her Olympic preparations. Okay, I'm here with Jenny Blundell. Jenny, I have a lot to ask. I've been following your career for a long time now. Um, but let's start with where are you at the moment? Uh, when are you heading off to Japan? Um, yeah. So, hi everyone, thanks for having me. Um, at the moment, I'm in Sydney. I chose to stay in Australia and try and qualify for the games, which I did, which was is pretty cool, um, to do it in front of friends and family. And uh, our Sydney-based Olympic team leaves on the 26th of January. So my first race being the heats of the 5K is on the 30th. So we get a few days to get settled and then um, then go out there for our race. So I take it you're in lockdown. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, it's we've, Sydney's been in lockdown for three weeks now, but it's been a pretty harsh lockdown the last week. Um, that said... Uh, the Institute of Sport here in Sydney has been fantastic. So my training hasn't really been up to, uh, interrupted. The only interruption I've had is training partner, Obsar. He lives in the, uh, the district that shut down. So I can't train with him. However, I usually train a lot by myself um, for runs and things like that. So I haven't found that it's been super like I, I don't feel disadvantaged so um yeah in the Sydney lockdown but surviving <laughs> great great and Jenny we'll get back to the Olympic stuff soon um I just wanted to go back a little bit at 12 years of age um correct me if I if I stuff any of this up right but like at, <laughs> at 12 years of age I believe you broke the the age group 800 Australian record and I think you ran like a 211 20 as a 12 year old um and I think Morgan Mitchell was in that race. Um, is yeah. That, you, know, you guys have obviously probably still friends and that's, that's one hell of a journey, but how cool is that? Is, is Did I get that, that accurate? Yeah, you did get it right. And actually Morgan and I had a laugh about that um, at the last meet of the Bankstown series. So um, we often joke about us doing cross country together and things like that. Um, particularly when she was more of a 400 runner, she was like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to do cross country with you. Um, so that's been really nice to have people in my age group that have gone 
um, all the way and continue to keep running. We always follow each other's um, progress and even someone like Amy Cashin in the steeple, like I grew up um, with her racing. So it was really cool to see her um, make the team. Um, and yes, with the when we were 12 years old in Cairns, um, that's the last time I've been to Cairns. And I was actually really, really looking forward to doing the camp there because that was the track that I broke that record on and I have some good little memories. So I was a little bit um, devastated when I couldn't get to the camp to relive that. But yeah, it's all right. Um, <laughs> so like, you know, I guess it's a bit of a tangent, but you've been in the sport for so long. I mean, our last podcast we did was with uh, Jeff Risley and he was saying, you know, he didn't really get seriously into it till he's say 16, 17. And he thinks that's kind of helped him in many ways with his longevity at 34. He's off to his fourth Olympics. And, you know, you've, you're kind of the opposite, right? Like you, you've been doing very well at a higher level from, you know, the age of say 10. And so do you, you know, I'll get to your injuries in a second. I know you've had a lot and, do you feel like that has maybe worked against you in many ways, like not as a junior but obviously as an adult? Yeah, I mean, look, training age, uh, we, you know, at training, Jimbo mentions that uh, a fair bit, um, particularly our new uh, squad members who maybe have a training age of three or four compared to me. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't necessarily say that I – got pushed hard or anything until I was about 18 when I feel like I really started to do some proper training, um, like proper structure, um, hard sessions, and I'm I'm still a low mileage person, so I don't actually have a whole lot of running in my legs compared to someone with my training age. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like – the last few years having ups and downs and making teams and not making teams, um, it, it also makes you realise how much you want to stay in the sport and keep going because I definitely feel like I haven't reached my potential in the 1500 and, and obviously the 5K now. So um, I definitely feel like a spring chicken. My body feels young. Um, I don't feel like I've cooked myself. So... Yeah, I just feel like, yeah, I've been in the sport for a while, but I still feel like I've got a good few years left. So, yeah. So following on from that, I, I heard that you've torn your uh, Celeus, say, um, seven times, right, since 2015. Uh, tell me about this. Like, you know, why does that keep happening to you? What have you done to kind of rectify the situation? Yeah, so I've um, the trend is that I, I nick... I nicked the Soleus, um, my left one one year and then the right one the next year and then the left one the following year. So it, it bounced, it yo-yos around. Um, but basically, anatomically, I my central tendon isn't straight. It They're both kinked. So when, when you know, when a bad day happens, it tears at that kink point. Um, it's something I've had to accept and try and work with rather than sort of um, uh, be naive about it, which is something that I probably was naive about for the first few years. I didn't want to accept that it was a like literally an anatomical thing. 
Um, but now I'm the last sort of two years I've been working with it rather than trying to work against it and pretend it's it's not there and I can be as robust and strong in the gym and um, simulate lots of change of pace, um, quick training, slow training, as much as we can try and do all of that at training, um, there's just sometimes it goes and I just have to accept that. So um, I definitely feel like injuries like that haven't necessarily slowed my momentum down. I always come out stronger. Um, but unfortunately for me, it's always sort of torn at really bad time points before a selection for a world. So I haven't made a championship for the last few years because it's literally blown at the worst possible time. So it's been good to get on the team again this year um, and for my body to be good. So I'm super wrapped about that. And so are you, you know, are you living in a little bit of kind of fear on a day-to-day basis with your training where you're like, oh, shit, is this going to be the day that the soleus pops or, or is it, you know, is it not really in the front of your head like that? It's not really in the front of my head. Um, there are times when, when yes, um, that does come into the into my headspace. But Jimbo's pretty good at um, calming me down, and um, I just have to really, really listen to my body. Um, I've gotten into the habit of pretty much when I'm in a heavy training block, I'll wake up in the mornings and if I'm going out for a jog in the mornings, I'll make sure I'm up two hours before I go for a little walk, do a body check, make sure I feel good because if I do feel tightness or anything like that, then I might have to change my day or delay my session, um, which that is frustrating, but that's the reality. Um, so that's sometimes why... I might be on the start list for a race and then I don't show up because it means that we've deemed that I'm just not in a good, like, uh, like I might've been in like a risk zone. So then we've had to scratch me. Um, so that's, that's a bit frustrating and to plan races and be so selective. Um, but that's, yeah, that's my new normal. (laughs) All right. I go way back with your coach, uh, James Jimbo Fitzgerald about maybe, 25 years, mid nineties, I think. And you, you, you've stuck with, with Jimbo now for, for maybe eight and a half, nine years. And, you know, that's obviously a pretty special relationship, pretty rare to see these days. Um, what is it about Jimbo that works for you? Yeah. So Jimbo and I, we've now gone um, to Olympic cycles together, which is really exciting. Um, and, and in a new event, the 5k, um, I just really love his training creativity, um, particularly with my injuries. Um, We've done quite well to be creative and not fall into the trap of just doing the same training year in, year out. So I don't do the same session um, frequently or anything like that. Um, And he's got a really good mindset. Um, He's really good at pumping me up or um, calming me down Um, and not only that the the training environment we have it's not uh, I guess you would say it's not super elite but for me it works and the training's really good quality and um, I am you know haven't had a problem with it so if it's not broke don't fix it sort of a thing. (laughs) Um, I remember 
I trained with him, I think, for a while in 2008, I think it was. And he always had these new sessions, like made up sessions, and they gave them cool, quirky names and stuff. Is he still doing that sort of stuff? Yeah, I've definitely weighed. I've I have made my way into some of the names of his sessions, which has been pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I that that's de- definitely the feedback I get for people who have been with him for a little bit. It's just it's quirky, and that's the best way to explain Jimbo. He's just one of a kind, and it really gels with me, and I really like it. So yeah. <laughs> In Feb, uh, Feb of this year, you won uh, the national uh, five thousand title. Um, I believe that was like your fifth or sixth uh, five thousand meters ever. Is that right? Yeah, I've definitely I definitely have done some five Ks, but it was probably my second serious one. Um, I came third Australian home in twenty twenty nationals, and that was my first proper one that I actually um, was doing to race rather than just you know to, to do the distance and then that was my um uh yeah second serious one um but I have struggled with the all of the lap count and sort of ways what like how's the best way for me to run it I can't always rely on um uh, a build-up and a good, strong finish. Yes, that works in my favour for championship races. However, um, when I had to try and run 15-10, I couldn't run it like that. So um, we had to sort of do some a bit of rethinking on how I was going to run the qualifier. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I, I'm still a newbie, but I've done lots of research, been watching lots of um, videos over the last, year so we'll see how it goes yeah you mentioned before that uh you're kind of a low mileage type runner so so how low you know and and has it gone up at all since you kind of made the transition from 15 to 5k yeah so I'd probably say the bulk part of my winter training last year I was would be lucky to tick over a hundred K a week, like very lucky to, to tick that depending on the type of sessions I would have had that week. Um, but the last few months when we've been trying to attack the, the 15, 10 qualifier, we actually pulled my volume back a lot. So I'd be lucky to be hitting 85 Ks a week, but everything I was doing in training, like was not slower than um, like 70 fours or 75s through the 400s in 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 no matter you know if I was doing 2k reps or 1k reps so it was like really specific and um I just find that works for me um I'm I'm never usually one to harp on about what's right and wrong for for how people train and for what events because I'm a perfect example of someone who does not fit the probably the normal training um training type so yeah low mileage works for me I usually push my long runs and easy jogs a little bit faster than most but that said not ridiculously fast or anything um and yeah the low mileage works for me. So your easy, your easy runs, you still say your, you know, double, double runs or an easy Friday run. Are you still, are you finishing that? 
are you looking at heart rate zones and stuff or are you just kind of going out and cruising but you're just saying you just kind of roll a bit bit faster than than you know others yeah so I don't double run and I don't run on Fridays so I I really like Fridays so you don't Um, don't do doubles at all full stop no no so I don't double don't run on Fridays um and my heart rates, I do keep an eye on that um, just to make sure that I'm not working too hard. But it's mainly I run a lot on the flat. I don't do a lot of hard terrain for my long long runs or easy runs just to make sure that um, my legs are ticking over. And the reason why I just run a little bit quicker is because of the calves. I run better when I run a little bit faster rather than slow and sluggish. So my physio has more so directed that path for me. So Jimbo and I have worked out um, a way to be able to do easy runs, even though they're a, like a little bit quicker than what I normally would have a few years ago. Okay. So so you're not, not many hill sessions, not many massive long kind of three, four K climbs in the middle of a long run on a Sunday. What, what was that? Sorry, it cut out. So, it's, um, so you, you're staying off the hills a lot and, you know, during your long runs, you're kind of staying clear. You know, a lot of, you know, 5,000-metre runners love to smash out massive climbs during their long runs. So is, that's obviously not something you do. No, no, I don't. I don't. Um, we do a little bit of hill work on Saturdays, but the hill is not, you know, it's nothing more than maximum two and a half minutes of running. Um That said, I'm not saying that I don't do challenging long runs, but on an average, I will be on the flat. Gotcha. And um, uh, the National 1500 in April, uh, I believe you tore your your soleus again. Uh, Yeah. And then I'm more interested, you know, that sucks, right? But then I'm more interested in what happens after that. I hear that you spent six weeks on a bike, cross-training, then four weeks of running, and then – you know, you got on the, you towed the line and knocked out a 15, 10, 5,000 on a cold, wet, windy night in Bankstown. Um, and I'm more interested in, in that kind of 10 week period after that Soleus snapped, um, you know, obviously the cross training worked pretty well. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So because, um, because I've been in this situation time and time again, I just know what to do. You know, um, as soon as it happens, uh, it was quite sore and painful to walk on for probably four days, but I was already back in the gym the following day. Um, I know what to do on the bike. Um, I like my, my partner, he's an elite cyclist. So I've learned a lot over the last few years on how to actually train correctly on the bike and the bike position and how to use my heart rate effectively mimicking the exact same sessions that I was going to be doing on the track onto the bike. And because we knew uh, that I wasn't going to be spending that much time off running, um, we could just really just get in there, get what I needed to do on the bike done for three, four weeks. And then I was starting to do some sort of running back on, on the Alter G and then on land. So it did feel like a long time spent on the bike, but I was, I was back running, um, quite quickly. So I had all the confidence in the world that I could get back to running those meets in June and, and do the 5k and run the 15, 10. I had, um, 
I had uh, like things all up on the wall that I would just stare at and I was doing a lot of visualisation on the bike, mimicking, you know, I knew it would take sort of 17 seconds to run every 100. So I was literally envisioning running on the track. So I was doing the mental training as well. Um, And, yeah, so sometimes stepping off the the track and smashing it on the bike for a bit – it's kind of a bit of a mental break a little bit. So I had a bit of a reset, rego. It felt like a new season actually um, when yeah, June cool. came around. And so specifically the sessions on the bike, right? Like are you replicating? Yeah. Is there something that your partner mapped out, Jimbo mapped out? How does that work? Like what were the bread and butter sessions, that cross-training sessions you were doing on the bike? So my partner, he's a sprinter. So <laughs> he didn't really obviously prescribe anything, but he knew that – I, I did all my cycling on hardly any resistance, maybe a little bit of resistance, but it was all about cadence and heart rate. So I had a little monitor on the screen and if Jimbo, if we wanted to mimic, um, let's say eight by one case type of a session with some golden reps in the middle um, or, or some build up one case, I had um, cadence zones, so I knew that um, if I was cycling at like 120 revs, then I knew I was doing like a almost like a sub three minute K effort and then the heart rate literally did match sort of um, what it would have on the track. And the great thing about the bike is you actually can chuck in maybe an extra two reps than you would have on the on the track. So I came off that bike block and I felt so fit. I literally felt the fittest that I'd ever been because I was able to smash myself um, more frequently. It was nice to be back on the track, but I um, I actually really enjoyed that block. We mimicked on a Saturday if I would have gone out and done a, um, a time trial, maybe a, a, a 5K time trial or, or like a park run mimic or something like that. There was one day where I had to keep my heart rate 180 and above for 30 minutes and that was really tough. But every five minutes I just kept staring at the cadence range and just go, just go, just go, just go, just put music on and I actually did it. And then the following week we did it again and I think I managed 40 minutes at that zone. So I was I was doing some pretty hard training um, but, again, just mimicking everything that I would on the track. It's such a common theme, right, like – athletes who kind of make it to your level compared to the ones that maybe just miss like it's a very common story you hear people getting injured and they just kind of hang out and do do you know crap off for a while and whereas you mm. kind of you know uh, most elites just really you know take take the other side of it and just go super hard like were you doing double days on the bike or were you still sticking to the singles yeah I was doing double days on the bike um mate basically just to keep my heart rate um response going I, I knew that I was going to be detraining to an extent so if I knew I was in it for the long haul and had to do four weeks of it 
I I wanted to keep my heart rate and my heart strong for the back end of that block. Um, so yeah, if I had a session scheduled in the morning before I went for work, I would go to work and then come home and just spin that session out of my legs for maybe half an hour that evening. But, um, yeah, double days, but no double session days, luckily. And you said you, you had to go to work. What do you do for work? Um, I'm an exercise physiologist. I work in a rehab setting. So I work in a rehab hospital, uh, usually four or five days a week. Um, so I'm a bit of a working girl, but, uh, I love it. I get my training done in the mornings and the evenings, entertain myself with anything that's not related to high performance during the day. So I love it. Let's, let's talk quickly about this 5,000 on the 29th of June where you, you smashed out a 15, 10, 27 on a pretty shitty night in Bankstown in bad conditions. You ran solo, I think, for like the last 4K. Uh, and, and Jimbo was telling me it's like the third fastest domestically domestic five, um, 5K ever on the track in Australia behind Karen McCann and, and stuff. So, you know, that must rank up there for you as one of your best runs, right? Uh, yes, I would say. Um Jimbo reckoned that my race that I had the the previous few days with Eloise was better because it was a weird scenario. Um, we had so I was running with Eloise and we had a a girl pacing. She was going to take us to three k's, but we did our first four hundred meters three seconds off pace, and I made a split decision and just decided to go around and try and have a go at it myself and Jimbo was like oh my god you doing that I know you can come back four days later and actually do it properly by yourself so for him that was more important from a mental side of things yes I ran slower obviously but I'd never attacked a 5k in that situation before. So I had all the confidence that when I didn't run the 1510, um, I just said to Georgia Wassell, I said, give me a sub three minute K, set me up and see how I go. And it's very simple. That's just, that's exactly what happened. Everything fell into play. I dug deep and it was a shame. I was 0.27 of a second off the time, but it was a magical 15 minutes right and so I mean that leads on to the next thing I wanted to ask like how did how did it then work out with Olympic selection like obviously for those listening who who aren't sure the the Olympic standards are 1510 flat and you ran uh, 151027 um, and so you know what you won nationals so you had that in the bag um, and then I think maybe Jess Hull stepped down to the 15 elected the 15 and you had a uh, Dan Gregson um, go to the steeple. Is that how it played out? Like, did you get a phone call and did, did you understand what was going on behind the scenes there or was it was it kind of in the dark? Um, a little bit in the dark, but I tried not to think about all of that as much as it was good to keep my eye on the rankings, where I was on the rankings, knowing that, the, the timetable of the Olympics made it impossible to be able to do the steeple combination with the five or the 15 combination with the, with the five. So I knew that I knew of Jen doing the steeple 
we weren't 100% certain if Jess was doing the 15 or not. So that's why, irrespectful of everything, I was going to try and run the time regardless. So, and it just happened to work out that I missed the time. Jess stepped out of the five and I was in a good ranking position to get offered. Um, A lot of people discounted the women's 5k and thinking that I was a long shot of getting in on roll down but I had done my research of all the other girls from other countries and I definitely knew of about 12 girls who were going to be pulling from the five so I knew that no matter no matter what I just had to like Clarky and like Nipper just try and race and see if we could improve our rankings all the way till the deadline because it literally did come down to it. Um, in terms of mindset for the 5,000 heats in Tokyo, uh, obviously this is your second Olympics. Uh, in Rio, you made it out of the heats in the 1,500, obviously made to the semis. and You have that experience in the bag and, you know, what's the mindset like leading into the, five, the, five, the heats in, in Tokyo? Well, I definitely... Um, am excited to run with a, a world-class field for a 5k I've never ever ever had the experience of showing what I actually can do in a 5k in with with a good pace I've always run well off a slow pace and now running 15 10 sort of has set me up to um, be in the mix if it came down to like a last 1K kick down because I've got the speed in my legs. So I'm pretty excited for the heats. I really hope that it is an honest pace because I, I definitely want to try and see if I can run 15 minutes and under and make the final. Um, I think having been to a games before, I, um, I know what to expect. It's not daunting me. I'm not just there to make up numbers. I'm envisioning myself making the final. Um, I actually don't mind being in Sydney all the way up until the games because it's kind of feeling a little bit like a diamond league where we it's high performance. You you fly in, you get the business end of things done and you leave and that's that's what's going to happen at these games. So there's not going to be any distracting um, things. I mean, I would have liked to have been in the Cairns camp, but that can also distract you because you're there for two weeks. But instead I get to stay and be with Jimbo, be in my own bubble and just make sure I've got my performance goals in the forefoot of my mind. So I'm pretty, I'm very, very switched on for this first round of the five. In terms of the the Cairns camp, like acclimatising to, you know, weather conditions and stuff, is that the main, how how are you approaching that angle from, you know, being based in a, you know, cold uh, Sydney winter, I take it right now? So Sydney right now, fingers crossed, the the weather's being quite kind to us. I'm trying to train in the middle of the day with the most amount of sunlight. I'm doing all my sessions in... um, long tights, a few few layers and resisting taking the layers off. Um, but it's more about the humidity in Tokyo that I'm concerned about, the heat I'm not worried about. So after every session, um, each day I'm going in the, the sauna and doing passive heat exposure for 
about 30 minutes. It's it's set a little bit, um, the temperature's a bit higher and a bit more humid than it will be in Tokyo. So I'm sort of acclimatizing to the worst case scenario. And I would have been doing that for just over two weeks come my race. So I'm definitely not missing out on on the that sort of exposure. I was chatting to the physiologist who he's actually stuck in Sydney as well. He's meant to be in Cairns and he said that the weather they're having in Cairns actually isn't isn't enough either. So even them, even they're up there working out in like long clothing if they can because they're not getting the conditions that um, that's optimal either. I've definitely had a look at other athletes that I'm competing against and looking at the strategies they're taking and a lot of them are doing the saunas. Some of them are jumping on the bike in the, the heat chambers. I did have an option to do some treadmill work in the heat chambers but I don't I my biomechanics alters a bit on the treadmill so I've just decided to get the quality in on the actual track and just do the passive exposure gotcha so but you know passive 30 minutes in the sauna that's literally just sitting down and chilling just out. sitting right. yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 cool all right moving on you're I just wanted to have a shout out your training partner Obsa he's I hear he's vital in your you know, in your day-to-day training, how how good it how good is it having a partner like him? Oh, Obsa, oh, I love him so much. He's just such a kind-hearted person. Um, he's improving every year, and he's a little bit like me. We're we're a bit chilled. We're a bit casual. We don't um, we don't make it feel like a super elite environment. Yet we've got some pretty big goals that we wanted to tick off. We're hoping to get him onto a team next year. Maybe Com Games will be nice for him. Um, it's been really good seeing him in the last two years hugely improve on his aerobic capacity. So now he's um, pushing me in my threshold work, um, and then he obviously pushes me in the speed work. So we've the last year, I would say the the last year we've really come together nicely in our crossover aerobic and anaerobically and he he's one of my biggest supporters and I'm also one of his biggest supporters and um with us you know we there's no there's there's no what am I trying to say there's there's not a lot of chiefs in our squad so yeah, we don't have like a, I guess a, a dictatorship or anything. We sh- we share all our reps. Um, I don't. We don't mind if one of our laps is too slow. Doesn't matter. Um, and we don't we don't long run together though. We just train together. Um, and yeah, it's been really good to have him continue his uni and his studies just like I did. So I sort of mentor him a little bit that, you know, you don't have to be a full-time athlete to achieve good things and, you know, make sure you've um, looking at having a job outside of running and things like that. So we um, we are each other's little rocks at the moment. Nice, nice. All right, just finishing up there, um, you know, your aerobic engine obviously moving up to the 5K from the 15. It seems like there might be some blue sky untapped kind of potential there. 
in terms of your aerobic kind of engine. Do you, do you see yourself pushing on you know, for another Olympic Games in, in three years? Uh, and do you see yourself ever stepping up to, say, 10K or even, even further? Yeah, I have always known probably for the last six years that I will, will, would have transitioned to the 5K because my physiology and all my VO2 testing indicates that I am a 5K runner. Um, and Jimbo actually spoke to me about two weeks ago now that he would like to see me do Zatapec, Um if the body's ready to do a, a track 10K, but definitely start to try and see if I can hit a low 32 or under 10K on, on the road or the track. Um, growing up, I was always a, a cross-country runner who did 800s, which is a very quite – it's not too odd, but I never tapped into – 15s and 3Ks until I was quite a lot older. So my engine naturally is there. Um, so that's just going to continue to um, build as I tackle the longer events. But 100%, I will love to start putting some times on the board for a 10K. Jenny, it's been lovely chatting. I'm sure there's a lot of you know, juniors out there that have got a lot from this. And I thank you for your time and good luck in, in Tokyo. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, next time you'll see me, I'll be on the start line. Happy days. Good luck. Thank you.